Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the Shuttle Podcast podcast. Um, I am Nick. I am Echo. And this is the podcast in which we share space news and space facts and fun stuff about the wild and wacky universe. We've got a lot of good points today. Not Maybe not as good as the last time, but it's still pretty good. I don't have anything to say other than that I'm overheated. <laughs> yeah, overheated. So shall shall we jump right into it then? Let us begin. All right, let us begin. So here's a fun one. We are observing uh, materials that are thought to be the remnants of the very first stars in our universe. So hmm. the very first stars that our universe formed were supermassive, and they were likely formed when the universe was only around 100 million years old. Uh, for reference, the universe is currently 13.8 billion years old, and the Earth is 4.54 billion years old, so quite a bit older than 100 million years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, life life on Earth is between 3.77 and 4.5 billion years old, so almost as old as the Earth itself. And our species, our subspecies of human, Homo sapiens, is around 200,000 years old, um, despite what some people might tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and basically... The stars were so massive that when they died, they exploded with tons of heavy elements. And by analyzing a distant quasar with the Gemini North Telescope, astronomers think they've identified the remains of a first-generation star um, in the remnants and gashes around the um, quasar. And it's believed that these remnants could only belong to a population three star, which is one of the original stars. Mm. And this, this was, I, I, in my notes, I have a bullet point and it's just the word nor Norlab. So I don't know if that's the name of the lab that discovered it because I wrote this note a long time ago. That so, is Norlab credit to Norlab. If that's a lab, <laughs> that is a lab. They, um, they do observational research, I believe. All right. That has to be, that has to be the, who I'm giving the credit to then. That must be why I added that my notes observational research yeah they're primarily in the southern hemisphere i think um oh well you know yeah uh, they're they're fun i've attended to i've attended classes that are sponsored or hosted by them and, or by people oh, working with them well that's cool hmm. I, I just uh thinking about that in the context of nebular theory is interesting um, because the elements found in our sun, you know, our, our solar system obeys nebular theory. That's where we got it from, um, where we have the metallic planets, the rocky planets, uh, and the more gaseous planets in that sort of order away from the sun. But this has 10 times more iron than magnesium. I, that's, I wonder what that does to it. If it if it has any sort of effect on nebular theory, or if that just means that there were more that that there was just more iron and that's it. <laughs> so that's 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 a that's a tickler for me. Yeah. It just pertains to basically how our um what given the distance from a star and obviously what type of star it is, but it doesn't vary too much, what materials will a planet be made of? So you have Mercury, which is made of a lot of metallic materials and also happens to be close to the star. We can extrapolate that and look at other stars uh, and other solar systems and see that mostly that's kind of how it works for everybody else too. You get more to the middle ground. You you have rocky planets, um, Venus, Earth, Mars, and rocky asteroids. Particularly, our examples would be in the asteroid belt. They're almost all made of rock. They have some water ice deposits, um, as pretty much everywhere does. But yeah, it's it's predominantly rocky stuff. You get a little bit farther out, you have uh, a lot more gases. You have the lighter materials. So my thought was just like, we have such a different proportion of elements in these stars. And therefore, you know, the planets that form due to the mess of making a star at all. Um, if there's that much more iron, is there more of a 
radius where it would be acceptable to see metallic planets mm-hmm. than magnesium, which I don't... Yeah, it, it, and then it's just that ratio, the way that's phrased. I have no idea how to answer that question <laughs> or even how to explore it without further things. How developed is this theory? Uh, pretty... I mean, it's when we look for certain things. I mean, like, obviously we see gas giants that are really close to smaller stars, like um, red dwarfs and whatnot. Um, We've covered a couple of those, um, just given how fast they orbit and whatnot. But yeah, generally, you'll see, given the the temperature and just the type of star and how much of a mess it makes, uh, like I said, when it forms... You can generally expect to see that in a majority of places. So this is called nebula theory? Yeah, nebular theory. Um, Nebular. I've never heard of this. It's related to uh, planetary nebula. If you have seen or heard of that, basically you have a star or the makings of a star, and then you have a bunch of stuff around it that's just kind of refracting the light of that middle object. And nebular theory basically just says, you know, given the distance from that object, this is what that material will be. And we can look at that from multiple perspectives. We can look at that from the actual, like, how are these materials refracting, um, given how far they are away from their star. Um, And we find, yeah, the metal stuff is more in the middle. um, And the rocky and gaseous stuff is when when you go farther out. And then, you know, obviously... You get out to Uranus and Neptune and the trans-Neptunian objects, and you find a lot of ice because it is cold. Um, So that's not to be unexpected, but as far as, you know, these elements are metals, and these elements tend to go to make Mm -hmm. silicates and whatnot. Yeah, you you can expect to see a correlation between distance and the material. Doesn't atmospheric pressure also affect whether or not liquid and or solid water can exist a little bit i mean you compress water enough you'll get something that looks like or acts like ice um but you know on mercury or the moon for example places that don't have much of an atmosphere at all in fact they have an entirely new thing called an exosphere um you do see deposits of ice water just because it's just because it cold and sometimes they get blasted by solar radiation, and then they sublimate and become gas and then go into space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, liquid liquid water, uh, it helps to have atmospheric pressure and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, just barring all of those variables. And the ice that I mentioned earlier, I, I think that's where the question came from. That's not just water ice. That's stuff like hydrogen ice that you see on Pluto. Yeah, just stuff that's so cold and far away from the star that it's frozen. Granted, it's science, so it doesn't always work when you have a broad template like that. But it's it's a neat way to predict certain things. And we really wouldn't be anywhere near <laughs> the sort of knowledge we have on exoplanets without the really lucky spot we have in the universe where our solar system has quite a bit of everything. Silence. (laughs) Are you ready for the next point? Uh, Sure, yeah. Would you like to present? Yeah. Would you like to share the next one? I'll go ahead. (laughs) I'll I'll go ahead and bar the point that just says no uh, and move (laughs) to this one. Um, So... Uh, In launch news, I'm not going to act like this isn't strange timing, um, but it would appear that SpaceX has made history in the form of the Crew-5 mission on the 5th of October 2022. Um, The mission carrying NASA's Nicole Mann, NASA's uh, Josh Quesada, as well as JAXA's Koichi Wakata and Roscosmos's Ana Kikina, uh, was the first to carry a Native American, Nicole Apun... (laughs) Nicole Aunapu-Man of the Wailaki tribe beyond the atmosphere, and also the first to carry a cosmonaut into space aboard a private American spacecraft. I have my opinions on this. It definitely is weird timing because Roscosmos has 
aired its, I don't want to say concerns, its suspicions about um, work co cooperating with a country that doesn't support the war that its government is engaged in for some reason. Looking at it from that way, you could take a pessimist perspective. You could also look at it from, well, there's still a sense of collaboration going on in the sort of scientific field that we're looking at that kind of just bars those boundaries, which if you look at it that way, it seems kind of nice. And obviously it goes without saying, um, as a native myself, I'm very happy for this development with Nicole Mann. Do you, out of curiosity, do you know for a fact that you're pronouncing that name correctly? Not really. No. <laughs> I was wondering if you looked it up or not. No, I, I'm not really familiar with her tribe. I'm more of the middle United States, and that's a California tribe. Yeah, but it's very cool, <laughs> and I'm very happy mm -hmm. cool about stuff, that development. Yeah. And it's the the Crew 5 mission on the 5th. Yeah, if only it was May. <laughs> if only it, if was, it was May 5th, it would be 5-5. Five, yeah. five. If only it was 5,555 A.D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If only. We'd be really behind. I certainly wouldn't want to yeah, wait that long for a development like this. Yeah. We'd be very behind <laughs> on all these shenanigans. Yeah, that's as far as launch news goes. Um, I, I'm, I'm still waiting on the SLS to get better. <laughs> but that'll probably be the next big thing. Where, what, what exactly was the Crew-5 mission? Oh, boy. Um, I think just judging the nomenclature, it was to the ISS. But, oh. um, yes, okay, it transported the four crew members to the International Space Station, docking a day later, on the 6th of October. And they're supposed to come back in March of next year, 2023. Wow, that's, that's like half a mm -hmm. year. I mean, people have spent longer. <laughs> I, but. Yes, that's true. I don't know if I could survive any amount of time in space. I would just be so sick and miserable. Oh, yeah. And I know we both have back problems that would probably bar us from doing much of anything. Uh, maybe someday space travel will be accessible and there'll just be a little pill for the nausea. Mm -hmm. And um, Dizzy be not. And we won't have to... There'll be a pill that builds muscle mass. So we don't have to work out. We can just be lazy. Oh, well, there's already there's already stuff that does that. It's just not exactly legal. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> it might not do what we want it to do either. I, I have nothing more to add on that topic if we want to move right. on. Cool. So um, here is a... Ooh, which one do I want to do? Well, here's a... I will share two short and sweet ones since I have more topics than Echo. Oh. So uh, here's a cool one. There is a water world oh. that was found. So Bjorn uh, Benecki, using facilities at the University of Montreal, discovered this planet. So it's called K2-18b, and it's 110 light years away. Hmm. It's in the habitable zone of its star system. It was observed passing in front of its parent star in order to determine that it has likely water vapor. The team that discovered it is located in the Angelos. I'm just going to. Yeah. At the university. At. Fuck, whatever. The team that discovered it is at University College London. Mm. Now, I don't know how to pronounce the other thing, so I'm not going to. <laughs> So if you want, if you want, if you want to further understand the credit behind this discovery, uh, please look it up. But um, it's it's that's a fun fact, yes. And then here's another um, here's another fun one. So NASA's Lucy spacecraft took five pictures of the moon. So it's the Lucy Long Range Reconnaissance Imager. Lucy took photos of the moon October fourteenth from. 1,000 or from 150,000 to 160,000 miles away. Huh. This was facilitated by the John Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. They uh, created a mosaic of images made from five one millisecond exposures. So it's another fun little fact. I don't know if we can 
show this image on the video. I don't even know if the image is available. Uh, most likely, if it is, um, but if it isn't, then I, yeah, that was. I was... just I'm ashamed that I walked myself through that simple logic. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hot in here. <laughs> yeah, we can if there is, but if there isn't, we can. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's the truth. It's the true you truth. Speak the truth. Uh, true truth. Yes. One hundred fifty thousand. Really. If I'm not mistaken, that's about halfway um, to the moon. It's if the moon is about a quarter million miles. Um, yeah, it's not orbiting the moon. It's orbiting the yeah. Earth, but it's past. It passed between the two. Quite a bit closer. A lot of attention to detail that can be made, especially without an atmosphere. The fluid dynamics of the atmosphere is the most annoying thing as as a ground based yeah. <laughs> astronomer. You're you're up uh, at an elevation though, aren't you? I am. You get you get less. It's atmosphere. a little bit better. <laughs> um, less atmosphere helps. I mean, a little bit, but um, also the the city has dedicated itself to having streetlights that are primarily red tinted, meaning there's far less light pollution. Oh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, that's nice. I, I mean, that's partly why i came here it's just really nice to see that much star it's not um, why most people come I wanted... here i think most people come here to take uh, medical things but take medical things what do you mean uh like nursing their nursing school is praised oh um yeah i like the lucy craft it's a good craft a good craft, yeah. I also like Bjorn as a man. Yeah. It's very fun to say. Bjorn. <laughs> I knew someone in high school named Bjorn. That's, I wonder if um, that water world you were talking about is tidally locked. Because it's if, if it's in its habitable zone, the chances are uh, K2-18 is a dwarf star, by the way. I should have provided that context beforehand. Um, that, it, that it is, um, in which case that probably means that the wind is going away from the day side and towards the night side, um, meaning that the water vapor will also do that. Does it just yeah, I, rain a bunch I on the night side? I don't think it's tidally locked because... Yeah, I don't think so, because I think the article about the planet would have included that piece of information, because that's a pretty cool piece of information to, you know... Yeah. I mean, that's... Much like nebular theory, that's just a template of my knowledge, and there are obvious exceptions. Um, sometimes yeah. things get hit by things, and then they spin a different way. Venus is a great example of that. Um, but, yeah. that I don't know. If it is, it's cool, and if it's not, it's, it's also cool. So, <laughs> that's space for you. All right. Uh, this one's a little sad. Uh, we mourn the death of India's inspiring Mars probe, Mangalyan, this month, as uh, on the 3rd of October, ISRO announced that the orbiting unit was beyond recovery. This probe was remarkable not only for its data gathering on the Martian atmosphere, helping us understand the seemingly strange behavior of its towering dust storms and its detailed mapping of the red planet's icy poles, but also for its budget. The probe was launched behind only an equivalent of 74 million U.S. dollars, or 4.5 billion rupees. Uh, for context, the MAVEN orbiter, launched by NASA only half a month later, took 582 million dollars, um, nearly 10 times that amount. Let us wait for a worthy successor that can emulate its uh, ingenuity, pun slightly intended, based on that Mars helicopter that we have right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. ingenuity. It took me a minute to get, a second to get. <laughs> I would equate this... Actually, no, I wouldn't. Um, but the UAE, I did, a, I did a note on that quite a few months ago, that they had succeeded in a uh, mission to Mars on a remarkable budget as well. Which makes me think, like, are Western countries just bad with money? <laughs> are we just I bad at budgeting? labor laws and like minimum wage is much lower in india mm. but the cost of living is also much lower in india so 
It's one of those things where it costs more money for Western countries because Western countries pay their people more, I think. Hmm. That's why, like, goods manufactured in America cost more than goods manufactured in China, which is why half the things you buy are going to be made Uh, in China. China. That's where they're manufactured the cheapest because they use labor. (laughs) Unless unless some 45th president puts a... a (laughs) Puts a tariff on everything that comes from that country, in which case graphics cards go outrageously outpriced, overpriced. Graphics cards. Yeah, I'm <laughs> glad I got my 3060 when I did. And that's not the only cause, oh obviously. Gosh. But yeah. No, that's I, the only con. I, I also <laughs> I also wonder um, if we were to launch uh, some sort of probe that would uh, that would emulate like let me. Hold on, let me get data for this before I go off the top of my head. Uh, Mangalyan. Oh, might I also add that the Mangalyan Mars orbiter has initials of mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, our mom. <laughs> our mom is dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, what exactly did it do? Just record? Did it just get images or? Yeah. Um. It was a. It was a surveyor. It gathered a lot of data on the. Uh, the atmosphere and the polar ice caps of Mars. Um, it had five main instruments aboard it. It had a methane sensor, a thermal infrared in- imaging spectrometer, and a beautiful color camera, uh, as well as a Mars exospheric neutral composition analyzer. That's jargony. Wow. Um, and even more jargony. jargony, a Lyman alpha pr- phot- photometer. <laughs> wow. Um so three of those things, out. three of those things, as a student currently enrolled in physics one, um, are completely over my head. But <laughs> <laughs> how many levels of physics will you have to take? Oh, I mean, for my degree, I I'm taking like a physics a semester. <laughs> so next semester oh, wow. will be physics two, and I've already, mind you, I've already taken physics two in high school, but my university did not believe me when I said that. So I'm back. I'm back at the beginning. Back at the beginning, should be an easy A. It's actually one of my best classes, unfortunately, despite my attendance. Why is that unfortunate? I just, I don't know. I feel bad for how little work I put into it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <sighs> wow, that's a, yeah. quite the uh, physics-oriented spacecraft. Yeah. So um, how did it die? What exactly happened? Oh, it died on October 3rd after an eclipse, I believe. Yeah, af- after the prolonged darkness of the eclipse, it was no longer able to gather the power required to to do its thing. So yeah, the, oh, it says here on the Wikipedia article, I don't know what that's worth, but um, the primary objective is, of the mission was to develop the technologies required for designing, planning, management, and operations of an interplanetary mission. Um, and the secondary objective was to explore Mar- uh, Mars's surface features using indigenous scientific instruments, which means they made that stuff themselves. <laughs> wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah. It, it was honestly really neat. I don't know how it measures up in complexity to a nation that's launched a lot more Mars missions, like mm-hmm. uh, Russia or China or America, the United States, rather. Um, but... It's still remarkable that it was able to, because it it did aid in scientific breakthroughs. It aided in our understanding of the storms on Mars, which for rovers, which we've been sending down since the 70s, uh, well, for um, landers, at least, things that explore the surface, um, on the surface, those have been very scary. (laughs) It was the reason that, if anybody remembers the the well-beloved uh, opportunity rover took took a big die um it was after a really unpredicted solar storm or uh, geez sandstorm rather it was not able to power up afterwards yeah so i mean yeah i and i guess that adds a little level of iron here at least coincidence you know it helped understand the storms wh- which are known to bring the darkness that often kills solar powered probes but it could not defend itself from another form of darkness, that being an eclipse. We'll have to shed a tear of mourning for the death of mom. <laughs> mom. 
Yeah. Uh, I believe... Mongolian? uh, I believe Mongolian means something akin to just Mars Orbiter. Huh. Uh, let me let me look up if that's correct. Oh yeah, no, it's just uh, from it's from Sanskrit Mangala, which means Mars, and Yana, which means craft or vehicle. Oh, it just means Mars craft. Yeah, that's funny. Mars craft orbiter mission. Mom. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have nothing more to say on the topic, but it's sad news. And I'll probably be putting up pictures of it in the in the video because. I mean, almost all of our interplanetary missions have ended up accidentally being adorable. Um, <laughs> but I do really like this one as well. Because it's so so simplistic It's a little effective. box. Yeah. A cute little box. Just a little box fellow. Oh, have you... <laughs> I, I sent a picture of it into the Discord. Um, link in the description. No. Um in rocketry i believe no it was in launch discussion there's a robot that nasa's sent planning to send to uh titan in 2027 um wow that uh it basically just flies around the surface because its atmosphere is thick enough to do that it's actually quite thick scarily thick for landing i might add um but it's it's basically just a shoebox with legs and a propeller and an adorable little head. And I love it very much. And I can't wait for five years. I want it to be launched now. Have we ever sent anything to Titan before? We have sent one lander. And it took a couple pictures of the surface of Titan. And uh, it was really blurry because the atmosphere is so thick. Um, but wow. it gave us insight as to what the surface composition was which is a lot of water ice. Um, if you'll actually, you know, if you Google uh, Titan surface, that probably the image that will come up, um, you will get the pictures from that lander. Um, and they'll look not great <laughs> as far as resolution goes. Um, but you'll find that each one of those rock-like structures are, is actually primarily made up of water ice. Even if these pictures aren't great, I'm looking at them now, and they are really, really cool. It's amazing. Yeah, they're very beautiful. That. Even even if even if they're not high def, the sentiment is just incredible. Yeah. And I mean, it's color. They're color images. Yeah, that was ESA's Huygens probe, I believe, that took those pictures. Um, those will also be up, and perhaps linked. Yeah, we're. I, I'm. I'm very glad to be where we are in time today, because we have so much ahead of us, but we also have so much behind us. Sometimes I wish I could live in the future, just to actually see more space missions. But we are, we are the future. This is the future. Yeah. We're living in the future right now. Yeah, which is. I were to go back to and, and tell Jesus that we put a robot on Mars, or I mean. Hey, J-Man, look at this. We are the future. You pull out your smartphone, and then he has questions about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just write that into the Bible. There will be smartphones. And and then the 13th disciple, Stagliano, pulled out his his Google Pixel. (laughs) 13th disciple. I don't have a Google Pixel. I have an LG V35 ThinQ. The best phone ever. Ah. It's so... I guess it was lost in translation. Nauseating, <laughs> nauseatingly generic. <laughs> My The phones that I've had are just very bad phones because I don't have the money for a good one. Yeah. But and did you just throw it? Phone. What was that? I, I fell out, out of my hand okay. and onto the floor. That was very punctual, <laughs> the timing there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. This is not a good one. Bah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just leaves a hole in my wall. That'd be funny. <laughs> Come to think of it, I don't like this wall either. Time to replace oh. both of these. When I was uh, like 13 or 14, I thought it would be cool if I stored all my pocket knives in my wall. So oh, boy. I would just jam a giant, like jab the hole in the wall and just <laughs> store the knife sticking out of the wall, <laughs> which probably wasn't very good for the knives, but 
Uh, or the wall. Hey, the imagine. wall is yet to be spackled and painted, so it's just damaged in that <laughs> it's one just memories. Yeah. Shall we move on? Sure. Okie day. I. What shall I share? Um. Well, here's a fun one. So, the title of this topic in the document that Echo and I use is called Cosmic Electrons Blow Star Forming Gas, parentheses, we. <laughs> we. So, um, essentially, fast-moving electron winds blow away star-forming gas in galaxies, which slows or prevents the formation of stars. Hmm. And we have an image. We have an entire image of these winds uh, in the galaxy M33, or uh, is that pronounced Messier 33? Messier, yeah. Yeah, French French dude. So M33 for Messier 33, which is the third largest member of our local group, Andromeda being the largest, and then we're right between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't know, the local group is the cluster of galaxies that the Milky Way belongs to. It is referred to as the Triangulum Galaxy because it is located in the Triangulum Constellation when you look up into the sky. Because it's triangle-shaped. It has... Yes, it's triangle-shaped. That's the Triangle false. Galaxy. No, don't, don't believe a word he says. Um, it has an apparent magnitude of 5.7, so it can be seen hmm. under very good conditions yeah. with the naked eye. I mean, not, not very well, but you can still see it. And um, Charles... Messier observed and noted this galaxy in the in the August of 1764. Um, but back back to the images, we have a multi wavelength VLA image of these electron winds taken in this galaxy. These were taken with the VLT Survey Telescope at the European Space ESO. What's ESO? Uh... I would assume it's... Was, is that supposed to be ESA? VLT. Okay, the v, VLT Survey I Telescope guess. taken at ESO's Paranal Observatory in Chile. So, um, I'm, I guess I'm just not going to read out that abbreviation. It's ESO. Go look it up. European Southern Observatory. <laughs> European Southern Observatory. Okay. <laughs> um, don't look it up anymore. I've got <laughs> no, it. Don't, don't go look it up. Echo, echoes on on, echoes. Ha- yeah, insert joke. So cool stuff. Um, I don't know if I actually sent an. Did I send an image of the image? Um, perhaps. Let's look. Oh uh, no, I sent an image of the galaxy. Ah, okay. Um, electron winds image. M thirty three. It's not definitely not shaped like a triangle. Falsely advertised. <laughs> it's shaped like nothing, falsely in fact. Advertised. <laughs> yeah, it's shaped like blob. It's almost as if galaxies are giant blobs of blobs. Yes. Galaxies are blobs. It's kind of crazy that like a galaxy can merge with another galaxy and their stars just don't crash into each other. Yeah, yeah so despite their brightness, apart. there's just so much distance in between them. Crazy how much, sp- I mean, that's why it's called space, I guess, because yeah. it's emptiness, right? <laughs> for, for any of those uh, preparing for the Milky Way Andromeda collision, you needn't worry. We're probably not going to be hit by any stars or planets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Depends on who I refer to as we, though, because humans will probably be vastly different, if at all there. <laughs> <laughs> vastly different yeah we'll just be like androids walking around cyborgs there was one theory thrown around around a decade ago i think that said that humans their next evolution would look more like a beak (laughs) (laughs) upon our (laughs) upon our face it just sounds arbitrary i have a hard time believing honestly yeah but i'm no he just came up i'm no evolutionary biologist i'm hardly even a biologist it's true. You had to put astro in front astro of it, and then it made it enticing. Yeah. Astrobiology. <laughs> That's a thing. That's a real thing. It's my minor. That puts the uh, astronomy class that I'm taking in the biochemistry building. <laughs> do you have anything more to say on this topic, or shall we move on? Um, I don't believe I do. 
Would you like to share the next point or shall I? Uh, how many more points do you have? You have one. I have one and then two historic things that I may or may not share. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, recent data has come through that will prompt me to clear up a possible misinterpretation of heliopause. Um, in a nutshell, as it simply goes, the heliopause is the region where the solar wind is stopped by the interstellar medium. Effectively, they sort of cancel out. That's one way to think about it. Uh, one quick glance, and it's easy to assume this boundary is like a spherical shell with the sun in it, at its center, uh, protecting all of us Solians from cosmic radiation. Uh, <laughs> however, further inspection would indicate no such simplicity. The heliopause, according to NASA's Interstellar Boundary Explorer, acronymically IBEX, uh, depending on the dynamic pressure of the solar wind, the heliopause will wrinkle and warble back and forth as its energized neutral atoms collide with the interstellar wind and bonk around. That's definitely not the technical term about it, but I liked that word and it felt applicable. Bonk. Given the energy estimated at the origin of these particles, the sun, we can also sort out do an echolocation adjacent action to determine where our boundaries lie. Um, so basically, yeah, it, since our sun's energy will fluctuate and fluctuate at different points on its surface, then that will have long-term effects for the heliopause uh, boundary, basically. Uh, I also want to note that I believe both voyagers, let's see, um, have crossed this boundary. Um, let me look, though. The voyagers that did not get shut down? The voyagers that have yet to be shut down. In May 2012, Voyager 1 detected a rapid increase in cosmic rays. Uh, no, that doesn't really say what I want it to. <laughs> so it crossed the heliosphere in 2012? Okay, yeah. So the, the heliopause is somewhere right uh, near the Oort cloud, which is basically just a giant thing of debris that encircles our entire solar system in because of its so thick. Because of its so thick. Um, because of its thickness, it does Shoddy look a thick. lot. All right. <laughs> uh, sorry. No, it, be, sorry. because of its thickness and the composition of its small parts, it does look much more like a sphere than the heliopause will. Voyager 1, and by consequence Voyager 2, which was a little bit faster than it, did in fact cross this boundary. However, this data was observed from Earth, which I find really fascinating. So there was no confirmation with within Voyager of it crossing the boundary? Yeah, it actually did cross in 2012. Um, Voyager 1 did. That was about 121 astronomical units from the sun. Not much on Voyager 2 that I can see on here. But I guess that's not really that important. Yeah, so yeah, these spacecrafts have crossed... Yeah, there, there's all sorts of jargon um, and niche data that could be added onto this. But basically, my, my point in this point is to say that if you're thinking about the, helio, the heliopause as a sphere, think again. It is not. It's just some weird geometric... Topologically, a it's a sphere. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to stretch it in a couple places, and then you have the right image. Amazing. I wonder how far the Voyager probes will get before they get destroyed. Mm. Yeah, me too. Probably forever, to be honest. Yeah, unless we find it in uh, in Starfleet or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we're just in Starfleet. We find the probes at their trajectory or something, just put them in a museum. Um, That'd be really cool to visit the Voyager be, probe uh... in a museum. That'd be amazing. Like the original legitimate probe and not a recreation. That'd be amazing. Boy, oh boy, though. If if we find it that far into the future, the amount of cosmic radiation that it has undergone will probably make it not very safe to be in the same room as. Really? If I'm being completely honest. Yeah, there's radiation everywhere. It's not great. The cosmic radiation clings to Voyager? Um, well, basically, you know, it sort of, I guess it just irradiates it for lack of a better term. It's much to the same effect of the Martian dirt 
if you were to pick it up with your bare hands, it would it would irradiate you. <laughs> huh, I did not know this. More you know. The dirty dirt would hurt hurt. It's a good rhyme. Thank you. I worked very hard on it. Did you have that rhyme prepared? No. <laughs> no. Well, that was uh, some good information about Voyager. I, I don't really have anything else to say. Sorry. No, that's all good. <laughs> Shall we um, move to the next topic? Sure thing. Whose turn is it? Uh, I think it would be yours. Because I just Amazing. went over the heliopause thing. Heliopause, yes. So, on the topic of the sun beating down on things, I guess this isn't on the topic at all. So, um, new topic. The new topic <laughs> is that Mars, the early atmosphere of Mars, um, they think its thought was composed primarily of molecular hydrogen. Hmm. So, molecular hydrogen if you don't know, is a greenhouse gas, which could have allowed warm to hot water oceans to be stable on Mars and exist for millions of years. And based on, you know, sedimentary rock, we know that Mars was once in possession of water upon its surface. Yeah. And this is the first evolutionary model of the planet that uses high temperature magma formation um, as a variable in the model. Uh, most gases coming from the planet would have been hydrogen and water vapor coming out of the magma. They took the D to H ratio, deuterium to hydrogen ratio, and um, found that it's much higher than Earth's oceans. Hmm. And this is because they analyzed the isotopes of hydrogen in 3 billion year old dirt from Mars. So that's how they came to this conclusion. So I personally can't vouch for the legitimacy of these conclusions. I'm not an astrophysicist. I just, I'm, I'm the messenger. I report the news, <laughs> but I found this to be quite fascinating. Yeah. Um, hydrogen isn't completely alien when it comes to known atmospheric types. Yeah. But I'd never heard that about Mars before. So it's a fascinating new find with this model. Who, I mean, it could be wrong any model could be wrong but it's an interesting find yeah it's it's interesting that we haven't really found much to yeah it's it seems we haven't found much to refute it and i mean the jezero crater uh it's confirmed that that was a river delta yeah yeah it would appear that that made it into sort of a a water world as well a <sighs> water world with a hydrogen atmosphere which we would definitely need to look for geometric, uh, geometric Jesus, geologic evidence of. A thing with Mars is that's really convenient for its exploration is that um, its present day surface is so old. Um, you know, Earth has life on it that, and all sorts of processes within it that just regenerates its surface constantly. But... Uh, you you look at something like Mars, that sort of activity died off quite a long time ago. I can't remember the exact number of billions of years ago, but um, I do believe it was about three billion years. Yeah, um, that it just sort of stopped redoing itself and became what it is today. Oh, I'm looking at your notes now. It would appear that three billion is correct. Otherwise, that would contradict some things. Oh, where is that in my notes? Uh, the dirt that was picked up was three billion years old, oh, which would make wow. sense because we haven't we haven't made that spelunking robot that we were thinking about making yet. Spelunking robot? Well, doesn't Perseverance do some spelunking? It does digging. I don't know about spelunking. I mean, it's kind of big and clunky when it comes to that sort of maneuverability. Yeah, I guess. Um, I suppose it depends on your definition of spelunk. Yeah, I was thinking about just cave exploring. Um, oh. We had drafted up an idea of it. We as in human race. like not I had nothing to no, do with it. you this, and I. Where uh, it was basically just a shoebox with a bunch of tendrils coming out of it. Uh, I don't know what has become of those plans. Um, they may be making the rounds in the approval area. 
They may have already been approved. But I just like the idea of that. <laughs> the spelunker robot. The spelunking robot. It will be able to find older than 3 billion year old dirt. True. Optimally. And maybe we'll find some diamond ore. Minecraft joke. It's <laughs> funny. <laughs> I didn't know how to react, so I was just going to wait for you to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, was it? Yeah. I don't know. No, <laughs> that was a joke. <sighs> Netherite. Yeah. <laughs> Mars would be <laughs> Mars would be a good source of netherite because it's very nether colored mm. and kind of bleak and and bleary. Uh, it's definitely a good source of. I... Why am I engaging now? <laughs> no. It is a good source of iron, which uh, true. in recent updates has been iron soil. has been added to the nether. There's iron in the nether? I believe so. Huh. I've never found any. Unless I'm completely incorrect about most things, which is equally possible. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to the Minecraft Lore Welcome Podcast. Back. Yes. This is the podcast where you'll find all the information about Minecraft. You'll find news, you'll find lore, you'll find gameplay tips. Um, here's a gameplay tip. Keep a golden apple on your hotbar so when you're about to die, you can chow it down and it um, gives you some regen. No response? I don't know. I don't know. Things. I guess I'll just cut that part out. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's good advice. <laughs> But I don't have anything to add to it. Yeah, fair enough. <sighs> would you like would Epis you like to move on? Episode eight wherein Nick tells you about Minecraft and Echo stutters for a response. Yes. Uh Episode Aged Minecraft. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. If we made a mining spacecraft, we could call it Minecraft. We could. We could. And then and then they'd have to pay a settlement to Mojang. Well. Be worth it. We can sort out that paperwork later. <laughs> yeah. Just set it up so that uh, Mo Yang gets like little caricatures of their avatars just sent up into space. Oh, yeah. That did happen on the oh, really? Juno mission, I believe. There were, oh, really? There were Lego minifigures of certain Greek gods, I think. Jupiter and Oh, and I, yeah. I remember yeah. reading about that. Yes. Those were absolutely adorable. And, uh, I was very excited for that when, when I heard about it because I was a... I was a Lego kid. Big surprise. The STEM the STEM nerd grew up with Legos. Wow. You have the Lego ISS, don't you? And the sh and the Lego what's the other one? I have collected the Saturn V, the ISS, and most recently, due to an anniversary with my partner, I had the excuse of spending absurd amounts of money on plastic again. Uh we got the Eagle Lander from Apollo eleven. Wow, yeah, I've been I've been wanting the Lego ISS for so long, but yeah. whenever I have extra money, instead of spending it on Legos, I spend it on like books or video games or garbage <laughs> like that. <laughs> I I will bring up one, and I, this is probably a very specific problem that not a lot of people have. Um, obviously, if you do have it, you can feel f free to contact us and tell us because it would. It would definitely help me out, just as far as the satisfaction of knowing goes. The ISS is built basically on an axle, where you link a bunch of parts to that axle, and then, and then that's basically that main corridor is just where the axle goes. Mine came slightly twisted, so it's a little bit off oh, no. balance, <laughs> um, which was very frustrating to look at and hard to get over. But I got over it, because I mean, like. It kind of is that spindly, so so it's yeah. only natural that it would it would do that. It's more realistic. Yeah, that would be terrifying if there was like a twist in the ISS that people would just figure <laughs> people like just found out was happening. Oh my gosh! Remember when the ISS was spinning? Oh yeah, that was awkward. Yeah, I might have, I might have talked about that. I I believe you did. Yeah, uh, the the Soyuz capsule. Had one, yeah. of its, had one yeah. of its engines go off, and it made the ISS do quite a quite, uh, quite the break. That'd be terrifying. 
That'd be so terrifying to yeah. be on the ISS. You just see the Earth start to move down and down <laughs> in the window. I bet that gave a... Well, actually... No. Yeah, I don't think it provided any ad- advantages to people taking pictures in the Coppola because they can see the... Hmm. Well, that's an interesting problem to think out. You mostly see the Earth in the ISS. That's where the Coppola is mostly pointed. So they got right. a view of space as well for a little bit. Not as if you could take any long exposures of that because it was spinning like one rotation per 30 minutes, I think. So there's that. But <laughs> So it wasn't really like spinning out of control. It was just kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's massive though. Yeah, that's true. It's like a building. Yeah. It's a football field. For those football who use American as yeah, measurement system. The American measurement the American system. Culture. That's part of the imperial system. Yeah. Football field. It's inches, feet, bananas. yards. Bananas, football fields. American. Uh, Cubits. I don't know. Bald eagles. How many bald eagle wingspans? <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's a lot of shenanigans. Shall we? Um, shall we move on? Do you have any points left? No, I don't. I was going to bring up that it's frankly baffling that the cubit lasted as long as it did. The cubit. Yeah. I don't even know what a cubit is. It's just in the Bible. Yeah, it's just um it's... the distance from your. I can't remember if it's the distance from your elbow to your wrist or from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. But either way, it's extremely imprecise and variable from person uh, to person. Well, I think that's everything. Um, right. That's everything I had. I, I suppose I could share this classification system. Do you think it's a good idea or do you think it'll be boring? Um, we had a brief visit to it the last episode. We did, yes. Oh, uh, be a fine girl, kiss me. Yeah. Oh, boy, oh a boy, fine a... girl killed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, a freaking grenade just killed me. Uh, yeah. yeah. I wish. <sighs> <sighs> Spectral classification. So, if you, listeners of the podcast, that what we just said is um, it's a mnemonic device for the classification of stars. In the 1860s, the Italian astronomer Angelo Secchi distinguished four types of stars. And then uh, 20 years later, in the 1880s, Harvard College Observatory distinguished more stars and designated alphabetic letters according to hydrogen spectral lines. So the uh, chromacity, is that how you pronounce it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Even though they're distinguished by their chromacity, the number of Kelvins is also fairly distinct to each stellar type. Um, but so class O, uh, they're blue stars. They have short lives. And um, B, they're blue-white stars. Uh, it's 0.13% of main sequence stars are class B. 0.6% of main sequence stars are class A, which are white stars. And then um, 0.13% of main sequence stars are class F, and 7.6% are class G, which are yellow dwarfs like our star, mm-hmm. our, our sun, Sol, uh, Alpha Centauri A. Um, K, the stars are light orange, or they're orange dwarfs, and a whopping 12.1% of main sequence stars are class K. But that's not all, because a enormous majority of 76.45% of main sequence stars are class M, which mm. are orange-red stars and red dwarfs. And some of these stars, uh, these red dwarfs, can live for 10 trillion years, yeah. um, theoretically. So, And, yeah, there's, you know, red giants are type M and K, blue giants are types O, B, and A, white dwarfs um, completely run out of hydrogen fuel and collapse inward and die. Kaboom. Except not stars are the collapsed cores of massive stars, uh, compressed beyond what the right what uh, the, the white dwarf stage. And if you don't know, 
Um, neutron stars are called neutron stars because they're composed entirely of neutrons. And if they have more than three solar masses, they can collapse into black holes, which mm-hmm. is fun stuff. And then for brown dwarfs, for some reason in my notes, I just have a bullet point that says brown dwarfs and there's nothing under it. So I always w- remain a mystery. I would like to, yeah, additionally talk about, uh, well, first of all, we have uh, Antonio Maury, one of the Harvard computers, to thank for this system. It's pretty convenient <laughs> as far as things go. And I, I think that her history is just great. And also... Brown dwarves, uh, it's interesting that that's just a single bullet point because it's kind of still, as far as I know, up in the air on whether those are even stars or not. I mean, oh, really? Yeah, they kind of have the mass, um, but they just don't have the fusion. So, you know, yeah, they, they kind of just look like big, faintly glowing Jupiters. So they could just be giant gas giants. Yeah, uh, they, they typically have uh a lot of uh planet like relatives though at least from what i have interesting uh seen and that's that's anecdotal (laughs) (laughs) you've seen them you've been there it's slightly anecdotal but i also know that space engine has systems that it goes off of for generating these things um yeah i just sense i just don't want to be wrong and for me to act like it's right because that doesn't get academics anywhere what's your favorite neutron stars yeah they're really neat i honestly don't about you because they all have such unique characteristics oh you know what's interesting that i don't know if i don't think is on here um that i honestly don't know if i'll be able to present very well because i haven't wrapped my head around it um there's a class of stars called wolf riot stars Hmm. Uh, which, like, don't fit much. Uh, yeah, they're super, super rare. But prominent broad emission lines of ionized helium, ionized nitrogen, or carbon. Uh, the spectra indicate very high surface enhancement of heavy elements. Um, strong stellar winds. They're basically kind of just balls of chaos. Um, but their composition and structure is so rare that, um, especially when I'm playing something like Space Engine and I stumble across them, you know, I, I can't help but smile. They're just, I find them really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what classification they fall into. It's very hard to to glean that if if it's even there. Yeah, but I, 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 I'm a big fan of those. As far as the actual, like, textbook classifications. Do you spend much time in Space Engine? Not lately, but um, it definitely is is a is a therapeutic experience for me. I like to, to <laughs> wind down. Yeah, it's... Just to um, wind down with existentialism. <laughs> I find that it crashes a lot for me. Uh-oh. Is that does it do that with you or not really? Um, it used to, and then I stopped stressing out my graphics card. Yeah, um, I have a thirty sixty, so like in theory, <laughs> it should be able to handle Space Engine. Yeah, I have. Yeah, you have two graphics cards, right? Yeah, but they don't SLI because um, a they're not the same, and b even if they were the same, either of them wouldn't be able to SLI with each other. They wouldn't. Hmm. They don't have the component that makes them talk. So the application just uses one or the other? Uh, yeah. And that other one I kind of just keep uh, around <laughs> because I don't... It's a 1050, so it's not wonderful, but no, it works I when don't. it needs to. So I, I was figuring I might just keep it around so we didn't have to drop uh, a bunch of money on a budget PC and just entirely have to rebuy the graphics card so thank you guys for listening that would be the end of the episode um we you, you do it <laughs> i don't okay yeah i'm sorry okay we just, <laughs> what we used to. it's okay no worries um thank you everyone for tuning into the episode this is the eighth episode of the shuttle podcast podcast if you haven't already please uh check out our website 
Our website is shuttlepodcast.space, not .com, it's not .space, shuttlepodcast.space, and uh, consider donating to our Patreon or buying our merch. Um, we have yet to develop a cooler design for our merch, but you can you can have our little banner. I have a little poster of it on my wall. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's Nick and Echo signing out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And then I click stop recording.